0: Uh, let's get into it, shall we? But this entire year, we have been looking at reformation. The theme for our church this year is being reformed, all right? Um, and our goal is after the end of 52 weeks that we have seen uh, reformation in our personal lives. We're on week 16 of 52. Whew, this is happening. We got 36 weeks left. Ooh, just 36. That don't even, seem, don't even seem like a lot, you know? 36 weeks left. And we're looking at how we can be reformed. We've come to the conclusion early in this year that for the most part, life has a way of shaping us and molding us and pressing on us, and we end up becoming somebody that we know for a fact God never intended for us to be. Character flaws start showing up, things that we thought we dealt with start repopping popping up. You know, just after a couple of years, you recognize, mm-mm, this, 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 this is off. And so a time of reformation is a time for us to get back into whatever form God had intended and then to grow from there. Hello? To go back to the potter's house and have him remake us, yeah. reshape us. Hello? And, and he tells the children of Israel, go to the potter's house every time you realize you've got marred. Yeah. we be like, no, it's fine. I'll just walk around with this crack. No, 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 no. You should not. You should go back to the potter's house and allow him to handle your heart. So on last week, On Resurrection Sunday, we looked at reformation through maturity. Is that correct? All right. How we are changed through growing up. Hello? And the toughness about growing up, the idea of righteousness and faith and where that comes from, the purpose of knowing God and how we have to hone in on that purpose with God in order that we might mature. Do you guys remember this? We looked at promises and what else? Looked at the idea that everybody wanted a salvation from their physical problems, but nobody wanted a salvation from sin. And the consequences of the children of Israel coming to uh, meet the Christ on that faithful um, Palm Sunday when Christ entered Jerusalem is that there was conflict between his thousands upon thousands of multitudes that were with him and the thousands upon thousands of Jewish people that were within the city of Jerusalem. And it was contention there because all of Jesus' followers, they were they were a motley bunch. I know I shouldn't say that, but most of them was following John the Baptist out here in the wilderness. They weren't even going to do the temple stuff. They weren't making sacrifices for the most part. They had created their own ritual of baptism in water in order to say that we want to repent and turn from our ways. The priest never did that in the temple. And not only that, Christ came and validated John the Baptist's new new reformation tactic he was like yeah i'm with them and all of israel was like so you're with him but they couldn't say nothing because john the baptist was very powerful and everybody believed that he was sent from god as a prophet so when christ shows up and he does his ministry thousands upon thousands continue to join him now they're in jerusalem uh, right before his crucifixion and there's contention because the children of israel looking for the messiah to save them from the roman rule and then to 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 a certain extent the children the, the the multitude that's with him they wanted the same thing even his disciples we about to rule right who's gonna sit on your right? who gonna sit on your left We we, we the chosen ones we're gonna rule with you Peter was like it's going down we about to fight it's about to be a war whoever won it with us we about to come get them it's the perfect timing and none of that happened because they led Jesus to a cross and he was crucified and he died horribly then he rose from the dead and this concept has been missed in all of our modern Christianity that Christ was about saving us from sin. And because we see physical examples of him saving us from sickness, physical examples of him saving us from blindness, physical examples of him saving us from poverty and starvation, we still neglect to recognize that those salvations were just signs to point to the true salvation from sin. You know, I was uh, talking to some people the other day about some, some pastor that did a skit. And <laughs> I recognize that the gospel doesn't have to be reworded in any way. Because everybody understands sin. Every human being is born with a consciousness of, 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 of God. And every human being has a general morality, as you guys learned in your discipleship class. A concept that was just general morality. Everybody says, oh, that's wrong. No matter your culture, no matter where you live, how you were raised, everybody go mm-mm, mm-mm, mm No, we need to do something about that. So this could not have come from the Big Bang, and it's not a part, a part or a process of evolution to have empathy and to recognize that something is wrong even though it could benefit you. So evolution couldn't have created that, and every human being has it. So now we recognize that with Christ, there's so many things that we need to be reformed. Hello? Anybody recognize that these are the last days? Now, every preacher I ever know has been saying that. But this time, I really do think, I really. <laughs> no, this one, this one, this time right here, this, 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 this is the real one right here. This, I, everybody been saying that, I know, I know. But for real, for real, this is the real one. <laughs> you just got to take my word for it. You just got to take my. So this week, in coming off the heels of being reformed through maturity, understanding that salvation was about being saved from sin, not saved from from our problems, saved from eternal damnation, saved from not being a part of God's will, saved from being not who he created us to be. That's a big deal. For a couple of weeks now, we've been highlighting the idea that most people think, like the person with one talent, that as long as I show up to the heaven save, like I still believe in Jesus, that somehow this is all he wanted from me. But parable after parable reveals that the servant that just showed up with the one talent of faith that God gave him did not make it into heaven, was not told, enter in, servant well done. He was supposed, or whoever it was, he or she, was supposed to multiply that faith and increase it through the saving of other souls. So he returned with the same faith that he had. Now, why wouldn't God just let him in? He says he still believe in Jesus. Well, the scriptures tell us that even demons believe in Jesus and they're not going to heaven. Yeah. Believing in God is a gift. Every human being has it to associate God with Christ is a gift by the spirit. Hello. Then he says to the one servant who didn't, who didn't multiply his faith, didn't increase it through what God said, take his talent and give it to somebody that has more. And then Jesus rose up and says and anybody that don't have even what he has will be taken from him and we said well if you don't have nothing then how can you take nothing from nothing but the idea here is very clear that your belief in Christ was a gift it did not belong to you it does not belong to you hello somebody maybe you were born in a church household maybe you were born amongst a bunch of Christians maybe you hooked up like like my dad and my mom Mommy was saved and they got together and my grandma married, made sure minister Hudson, and my daddy got saved. And the, so you just, you just got to hook up some kind of way, but ultimately your belief in Christ and hearing the story of Jesus and saying, this is really who God is was a gift. Yes, yes. You didn't make it yourself. You. Whether you were born into it, around it a lot, the fact that it makes sense to you, you did not create. So just showing back up to heaven saying, well, at least I still believe in Jesus So you're going to give me back what I gave you? This is not a real real present. You haven't done anything. I kept what you gave me. Why did you multiply what I gave you? Because that's what I gave it to you for. Because ultimately, human beings were designed by God to be fruitful and what? So did you not become fruitful in these things? I'm already preaching the next message. I'm just trying to catch everybody up to the mindset that is necessary for this. So, before we go into the next topic, you have to recognize in review that when we say belief, we're not talking about just saying, I know Jesus is real. That there are three parts of believing that one, you know it is true, two, you are affected by it, and three, you live up to it, right? So, when God says, Believe in me, that's what He's talking about. He's talking about, Oh, you just know He exists. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's the one part of it. To know Him, you have to live up to it. Every aspect of your life has to be affected by it and you have to know that it's true and that's the bare basics because knowing that it's true was a gift and with this understanding that we recognize that when we accept Christ into our lives hearing the gospel seeing that Jesus is God that that was a gift that somehow it all connected right now our responsibility is to take that little bit of faith and that's all we get that's all we start with every human being in here started with Jesus is God that was it it's just something the story mmm how many years mmm mm, mm, it's him and even before you got all your degrees and all and all your seminaries and everything, everybody started with just that and from that your faith has grown has anybody noticed that now you got a whole bunch of stuff you can add to your own personal experience how he saved you from sin how he redeemed your soul how he rescued your life oh I got a whole bunch of stuff he's been adding to my faith right so with this in mind let's look at today's topic today we're looking on week 16 of 52 we're looking at Reformation through training Reformation through training Reformation through training I had a dream last night I know right (laughs) I have dreams is very rare but when I do they're impactful and this particular dream and um, no you don't have to run to me for interpretation <laughs> if you do have it you better make sure it came from God amen amen all right if not don't touch it but nevertheless let's keep going alrighty so <laughs> in this dream Somehow, I was back at Pastor Conine's church. I was back on staff there. Pastor Conine is my pastor, if you don't know. He's now 80-plus years old. He's a white man that is Southern gospel through and through. Builds the largest churches in Haiti, does missionary missionary trips, and I've been on them with him, and I love him dearly. I'm back at his church where I served for eight years, all right? One of the only black staff members in a multi-thousand person church. So I'm serving there, and we're all back at our staff meeting round table, and we're talking. And the whole group is talking about how we need to move. We need to go to where we know, right, that we can get more people. There's a massive amount of people waiting if we go to this new location. And I'm sitting at the table and I raise my hand timidly and I start to to say to people, I don't think we need to move. And all of a sudden I become overwhelmed with emotion and I start crying and pleading we can't move we can't move because there's some people in this church that have not had and I said an authentic encounter with Christ and tears start flowing down my face in the dream and I wake up and my eyes are still wet and I recognize this morning because that happened around 5 in the morning that the Lord wants to touch somebody today as I meditated and pondered about it from 5 a.m. till it's time for church, I understood that there is an authentic encounter with Christ that is uniquely different than your head encounter. It's different than your emotional encounter. It is a bona fide experience that leaves you forever changed at every level. I can recall mine, and I don't think it was the day I got saved right? Not at nine. Maybe baptism in the Holy Ghost when I was 11. When daddy took us and was ministering to us, the world changers. Then we left there, you know. We had a whole. Okay, listen, never mind. All right, let's let's move on. So I had a whole encounter with Christ then, probably around age 11. Experienced the Holy Ghost for the first time. Now somewhere around my college years, I started realizing that when we left world changers that we could get doctrine wrong, and that messed me up. I don't know who this is for, but I, I was overwhelmed by the idea that something so passionately I believed in could be so wrong, and it left me undone. So right, my senior year in high school, I started studying other religions, and I did that for over a year. By the time I became a freshman in college, I had so many questions about God and stuff that I just walked away, and for four years, I did everything and anything I wanted to do. Some point I came back to Christ and I began to go back to church and serve the Lord. I remember the day I rededicated, full of tears in my eyes. And later on I started working at a church and I did a study on the tabernacle. And I remember distinctly after serving and ministering about the tabernacle that the Holy spirit met me at my house. I saw people come into the church and drove strangers that no one's ever seen said the Lord led them to this hole in the wall of a church and they had powerful encounters with God one after another after another white boys and white girls and black people old and young just coming right off sister Glenda was there tell them it was true sister Sierra was you there Jesse, was you there for that one it was these people's there and I would see God move and I was overwhelmed and as I continued to minister over and over and over again shift after shift that went on till 3 o'clock in the morning I got home and I was tired and I every time it was a break I wanted to worship so I could feel what everybody else was feeling y'all don't want to help me today you could see that somebody is experiencing God in a way that you really have not experienced and I could see them experiencing God and I was like well I I, I want to do me (laughs) do me and as the left around three in the morning trying to ask him to do me like he did them before I left the building He didn't, but when I got home, I began to talk to the Lord and tell him, thank you for using me in such a powerful way, and I'm grateful, but if I had to be honest, there's only one thing I wanted, and that was to feel you and instantly the Holy Spirit consumed my mind my body I trembled in fear and adoration I spoke in other tongues and I cried out before the Lord and I was undone I still had one arm in my t-shirt and I was like ah. <laughs> <laughs> on the floor I think since the was there they was like don't mess with her. I don't know what's going on in her room just leave her alone <laughs> and I was so grateful some of you've had encounters and some of you are still waiting For your authentic encounter with Christ when I say authentic it means that you could not generate it you weren't thinking about anything you weren't causing emotions to come up you weren't thinking about your past you weren't thinking about your future you weren't thinking about how good God is you just were just hey I'm here and he just met you in a way that you did not conjure from your heart I don't know who that is today but I pray that the Lord will bless you with such an encounter amen okay let's get into the word on training second timothy chapter 3. 2 timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 it should be a familiar scripture to a lot of christians if you are not a christian and it is not familiar to you fret not you was my favorite type of person i love non-christians i love people that just started off in christianity and don't know nothing it's the ones that been here for a while that get on my nerves i tell you what Second Timothy three sixteen verses sixteen and seventeen says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Some translations use the word uh, for instruction as for training in righteousness. Timothy, he was a young disciple, a young disciple of Paul. And if you notice in in the books of Timothy, Paul is spending a lot of time trying to prop this minister up. Paul is in prison, and everybody pretty much feels like he's not coming out this time. And it's up to Timothy to carry on the ministry. I don't know what Timothy had going on, but Paul talked a lot about don't you quit. Don't you give up don't you believe false doctrines remain steadfast you can do this God is with you he'll use you and he just I mean for chapter after chapter he's just encouraging Timothy get in there I'm like Timothy what is you all right and so in this particular verse Paul is telling Timothy you know what Timothy the scriptures the Word of God is useful for training if you ever feel like you're not ready for the work of God use the scripture to teach you to correct you to forcefully rebuke you to reprove you right right use it to give you training in righteousness now this word training is odd training in righteousness because I be thinking how do we train for righteousness anybody else ever thought that at some point you feel like you start training for righteousness you become self-righteous like that seems sticky doesn't it now I'm just obeying a bunch of laws and rules and now I'm just being religious for religious sake because I'm trying to train up to be righteous I don't think that's what the text means there's a right standing that we have to have and he's saying in order to have that as a part of your life you have to train to have it as a part of your life not to get it for salvation Does that make sense? There's nothing you could do to earn your salvation in Christ. It's a gift. So to be trained in righteousness is to say emphatically that people who are not believers will look at how you live your life and will ascertain the type of God that you worship. If you work a lot, got to get that overtime, then everybody will recognize what is important to whoever you serve in God is money. Whatever God it is, right? If you're about that, that chill life, you know, taking them CBD, hemp, because all the rest of it is illegal here in Georgia, you know? But you you into that, you know, then people realize, okay, your God that you serve is a very chill God. That's that's who he is, right? If you're into fornication, hello, somebody, and that's how you're living, then people assume, oh, so the God you serve is just into just having flesh feelings and fun. So. In essence, every believer that accepts Christ, how you live your life will to the outside world show the type of God they think you serve. Now I know what you want to tell me, but I told them I serve Jesus. Now we all know words apart from action mean nothing. What you say is not nearly as important as what you do. So you can say I believe in Jesus, you can say I go to church every Sunday, you can say I read my Bible, you can say I pray. But what you do with your life will reveal to them the way you think about your God. So you can imagine that for mature saints who are called to be disciples, and that's every last one of us, it is imperative that not only do we know the gospel and preach it, but we live in such a way that everybody sees God the way he really is. Amen. Amen. This is tough in, in, a, in, a, in a consumeristic nation and now that consumerism has crept into church is even tougher because what I'm trying to say emphatically is that you have a responsibility to the kingdom of God to live in such a way that people can recognize God and while you may think you're good at hiding secrets they're never hidden somebody always sees no a physical person Always knows. Somebody always sees. So let's move on. He tells Timothy, he says, All scripture is given, Timothy, use it for proper doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I looked at this and I thought of a man. Who had a task in front of them the scriptures say that if you use the Word of God and you allow it to train you to reprove you to teach you that then you are giving certain tools to help you do every single work right hello anybody with me like every single work you could Whatever it is, you just need it. the Cece told me the other day, Pastor, I don't care what it is. You're good at everything you do. I said, no, I am not. Not at all. But then when I read this scripture, it's a possibility I'm better at most things because of one aspect. The Spirit of God has trained me in righteousness. Is it possible that being trained in righteousness could affect how well you do every aspect of your life? new things old things hard things I wonder if that's the case let's 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 read on to see okay go to first Corinthians chapter 9 first Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 through 27 first Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 through 27 while you're there I'll just keep talking (laughs) in order for training to be successful, it has to have one thing. Training is only different than practice and doing if it has this one thing, right? In order for training to be successful, it has to have a goal. That's a fact. Most Christians have a hard time training because they really don't have a very clear set goal. You got some kind of fragmented, hopefully I'll make it in, and my goal is to, to be a better person. And, yeah. and it's all just bits and pieces of whatever you think. Oh, that sounds good, let me add that to it too. But in order for training to be successful, you have to have a goal which means the person that trains you like a coach that whoever that is that you and them have to have the same goal like you have to agree that this is our goal y'all, y'all not helping me today all right if you have a goal in mind that is different than the goal that your coach or trainer has you're gonna have conflict when parents are raising children, there's a difference between training a child in the way that they should go and disciplining a child. Now discipline includes training, but discipline also says, I'm going to correct for what was done wrongly. And in discipline, it is plain to see that the goal of the child was different than the goal of the parent. Right? In training, A parent that is training a child then you recognize that the child has to have the same goal right what we're gonna do today we're gonna sit up we're gonna pull out our Bibles we're gonna read that's what we're gonna do today because you are a mighty man of God right and Ray goes yes I am Say, yes I am yes I am a mighty man of God and that's what mighty men of God do say yes they do so then we have a same goal right he recognized that we share the same goal what's getting ready to take place so when he steps outside of that goal then now we are training and we're saying no let's come back to this and if he agrees that there is the same goal then he agrees to the training and things go a lot better right things go more smoothly in the training when everybody agrees about the same goal Hello, anybody former athletes out there? Come on, help me, help me. Current athletes? Okay, okay. Micah, you listening, baby. You current athlete in training? Okay. you see, I'm okay, baby. All right. Yeah. So I took up the sport of golf. There's no secret. And I have moved from playing golf to training for golf. And you move there because I decided one thing to have a goal. And my coach, he looked at me, he said, that's a good goal. Some of you already know my goal is to be a scratch golfer. Okay? If you don't know what that means, that means that I just want to be real good and almost great, as great as anybody could be that don't really play all their life. Right? That's, in essence, what it is. All right now I know this is difficult and dog near impossible because I didn't start playing golf till I was 40 don't ask me how old I am now it's none of your business but if I didn't just know that 40 is late for any sport I, I did ballet when I was 32 years old. My knees gave out, my ankles gave out. My, I said, I can't, I'm too old for this. It's something about doing it when you're young that your body kind of aids and in changing into it. And then we got to train when you're older, it's a oop and a doop. But nevertheless, he said, I think that's a good goal. I think you can do it. I said, Really? He said, Yeah. I said, I don't know if I could do it. He said, I, You got what it takes. It's going to take a lot of training. So now, me, and my coach when I come to practice we have the same goal in mind yeah. I recognize why he tells me what to do and certain things he tells me to do now but the past couple of weeks he's been doing this thing that I don't like at first I, I fought against it right he wants to have a contest with me who could hit the ball closest to the goal at hundred and twenty yards My coach was a pro golfer. Who could hit the ball closest to the goal at 120. Ooh, I don't know which one. And so I'm looking at him like, coach, that's not fair. Like, duh, you gonna get it every time. He was like, yeah, but still, let's compete. You just want me to lose? pretty much. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa. Right. You have me competing in something. Y'all don't want to help. You got me doing something. Y'all don't want to help me today. God, you got me doing something that I feel like at the beginning. You already knew I was going to miss my target. You got me doing something that I feel like at the beginning. You already knew I wasn't going to quite get it right. Yeah, my God, my God, my God. That's good. Sorry, I got to I got to Hello. You already know. And so I'm thinking, Coach Corbett, that's not fair. This is stupid. It's going to have me out here looking dumb. In essence, I'm about to be humiliated. Y'all don't want to help me. Yeah. In essence, you about to set me up for complete and utter humiliation. All these other golfers out here, you know they watching. I'm the only black girl out here. And even when it's just me and you, for some reason, I'm still embarrassed with you. How does this happen? How is it that even though it's just me and my coach and he knows my skill set, I'm still ashamed. And for y'all to want to help me today, I'm still ashamed that I can't do what you're asking me to do. Something can't be right. Maybe I shouldn't be doing it. Maybe I shouldn't be trying. I, be, I just feel this and that, you're gonna ask me to do something. You already know I can't even do it. I mean, it's a l- if I did it, it was luck, but it ain't like I really can do it. Oh. Oh so, you know, short game, long game, driving to a goal, to a target. Then we did it from 120 to 200 plus yards. Now, I maxed out at about 200 yards. You're not gonna get me yet <laughs> past 200 yards. Now if we got done doing that, the next day, putting. Now this is when it really got embarrassing. Because on the putting practice green, there's people everywhere. And it's very clear when your ball misses the hole and how much it missed. (laughs) That's pretty much the look. So he says, let's have another putting contest. Now this time he says, me against you, winner gets a Reese's Cup. In my mind, I'm like, coach, why we keep doing these things? This is what he tells me. You need to know how to play under pressure. Even though I suck (laughs) right now, like it's no way I'm doing this right you still while training me techniques right are trying to make sure you're also putting in me how to do it under pressure because unlike some of the rest of these golfers out here i didn't start dealing with this at age two or three when i'm used to people watching and critiquing i'm doggone forty-something years old you know how embarrassing it is to do something that children can do and you just now starting to do it some of y'all are already embarrassed by some of the new saints that came in. God, dog, you got that already. I've been trying to get that in my heart. I've been in church all year. I ain't even got that. It's embarrassing. This so is let's put again. We're having a putt contest. The ball going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I win one. He wins one. The last one is to the death. We probably bounced this ball back about 75 times. He couldn't get it in, and neither could I. I said, Coach, you let me win. He said, Let me be honest. I never let anybody win. So, so, so you said, So you said, I got a shot. You said, I got a real shot. Now, isn't it interesting that your entire salvation, you tried to beg God to just let, just do it for me, God. Just make me that way, God. Just remove it for me, God. But all of a sudden, when you recognize that He said, I think you can handle it, you start saying, Oh, is this real? Oh, is this me? Oh, I, I got an opportunity. I got a chance. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 gives us a lot of this. Verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run? Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) But only one receives the prize. Okay, Paul that. (laughs) it's pretty basic unless there's somebody running in the race that decided to walk and people that are running races run Uh they don't walk Uh you cannot get a racer to run in a race and ever find them walking it's not gonna happen if I'm a racer and you put me in a race I'm going to run now if I just do this as a hobby if I'm just saved as a hobby if I just practice Christianity as a side life if I just add it to my current existing life then at some point I'm gonna just start walking at some point I'm like oh it's so hard all the time, day after day, going to church, can't smoke, can't sex. Oh, my God, it's so hard. How long I got to do this? Oh, the goal is, well, I'm going to do this forever. Who can do this their whole life? It just seems like and I'm not built to do this my whole. Yeah. Somebody's a walker and not a racer. And for some odd reason, you decided with your silly self to enter into a race for runners y'all don't want to help me today if you don't know this church you about to know it today this is a church full of runners hello somebody you training to be a runner not a walker many people have come through the doors and left because it's, it's just too much it's too hard it's too she always sometimes I leave feeling bad did you run I mean I didn't run but I don't feel like God would make me feel bad <laughs> <laughs> you don't know baby D you don't know him oh he absolutely will a coach will make you absolutely leave like god dang it I picked the wrong sport I picked the wrong sport I picked the wrong sport I got it all wrong and you go home feeling defeated and then if you like me pick the wrong dog on sport can't even he can't even hit the shot now I'm supposed to hit the shot this dog on impossible And I turn on the TV Golf Network is (laughs) on. Then I'm up in my kitchen. (laughs) Now just a minute ago you wanted to quit. But something inside of you got you coming to the church once again. Something inside of you got you kneeling to your knees once again. Something inside you and you can't turn it off. Now I'm stuck because I love it and hate it at the same time. I want to do it all the time, but then I don't want to do it never. I want to try, but I want to win, but I fail and I want to quit. I hate this life. I suck at doing it. I want to do it right. I just want to quit. I can't quit. This is prison. I'm trapped. Some people say, God, you should have told me all the things that was coming up with this. You should have told me and explained to me. when, I, Before I signed my name on the I believe in Jesus Christ line, you should explain to me that there's going to be times in my life where I'm absolutely not wanting to be a Christian because I suck at it and then I'm still not going to be able to stop doing it. Like I can't, I can't even stop doing it. But I'm terrible at it. See, in training, you have this. Proclivity. And there was a a pro athlete, Sam Manuel, former NFL. He said, there are many times I responded poorly to training and suffered for it. Then there are transformative times I have embraced training and seen great results. Because initially, when he said let's compete, I'm like, for what? See, now in training, I ain't even trying. It ain't no way I can win. Who is that? Come on. That's the standard. Ain't no way I could live like that. Is that what I'm called to do? Ain't no way I could do that. All right, now your training is so bad. Hello, somebody. And <laughs> you got an attitude. Hello. Come on. Come on, Pastor. Told you I couldn't do it. I don't even know why we got to compete. Then you really just fall out of form. Just no form at all. Lost all form of Christianity. Lost all form of righteousness. You went from just having small temptations to full out, just have no form. You over here smoking, doing drugs, sex. And you don't even what? Because you're mad about the pressure. You're mad that the pressure requires something that you're not ready to do. And then you're mad at your coach for even making you do it when he knows you can't do it. Mm. Are we there? It's those that run. They all run in a race. And all the ones that run in a race, they run. But only one receives the prize. Then he says, run in such a way that you may obtain it and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things stop right there now let's keep going now they do it to obtain a perishable crown but we for an imperishable crown therefore I run thus not with uncertainty thus I fight not as one who beats the air But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That last line is very true of golf. As a female, I go to the driving range. Driving range is where everybody, anybody can practice hitting balls. All right. If I miss a couple of shots, every man around is like, let me help you with that. Let me, what you got to do is you got to come behind the ball. What you got to do is you got to do. Now, they don't even know I took lessons. Now, please understand that anybody can have a couple of bad shots. Yeah. Anybody. Pros have a couple of bad shots. You, all of a sudden, you just lose it, and then it's gone, right? But as a female, I'm I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the thing. Oh, she can't play. I don't say nothing. I'll tell you what they say to the I behind the ball mo- And then put my legs. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Let me get back to what my coach said. All right. So what I got to do but most of these people will tell you when they come to give you tips now I don't really do it very well myself but I'm gonna tell you what needs to be done but that's golf says anybody can make a bad shot People still feel like even though I don't do it well, I still can tell you what to do. Now, some of y'all do the same thing. You go out there, you tell everybody about Jesus. You go out there, you preach to your family. You go out there, you tell your friends. But then all of a sudden, you don't really do what it is you were supposed to do because you have missed your training. Y'all don't want to help me today. You tell them that this is what you need to do and but don't look at me cause I'm not a good example. He says, so you're gonna preach to everybody else and then you become disqualified. How tragic that you knew everything that was a necessity for godliness. You knew every scripture, you knew the power of the spirit of God, you knew the things that would help, you knew the things that wouldn't help, you knew the tricks, the traits, all the tools you had, and you still didn't put them to use. Set and renew. Well, I know you learn. Good word. Look at your notebooks. Got notebooks full of notes. About to be disqualified. Cause you didn't bring your body under subjection. Y'all don't want to help me today. You don't want to help me today. <laughs> no, it, it, I need to learn the word. Do you? Do you need to learn the word? What you really need to do is get that body under subjection. Cause that's about to mess you up. Yeah. How? You think that the things that you do with your body don't infect, affect and infect you spiritually? The things you eat infect your insides. It affects your brain chemicals, your hormones. Hello? how much more would the things that you also do affect your spirit yeah. Yeah. the things you do with your body how it affects your spirit what things you do with your eyes how it affects you on the inside things you do with your hands your inside what you say at your mouth This, all this stuff and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things it's somewhere around verse 25 that word temperate means disciplined what he's saying is that runners in a race they run and everybody that competes for the goal competes for the goal, and they have to be disciplined in everything. When I first met Coach Jewel, she had came off the pro tour some years before, but she still ate like a pro athlete. And I always went out to eat with her, and she always act like, I'll have a waffle, no butter, no syrup. I'll have eggs, no wh- no yolk, just egg whites. I'll have spinach. Whole- I'll have fries, no ketchup. And i just be looking at her like, then i eat my food and she'd be like, Let me, can I taste that? This tastes good. Yeah, it's got butter. Yeah, my waffle has butter. It does. And for about a year and a half, she would come out to eat with me. She would order crap. I mean, healthy food, right? And then I would order stuff that tastes good, okay? Put some butter on that, give me a little ketchup on my fries, you know? And every time, she that's why even today, we, she eats half my food. It's been a habit for years. Because she orders bad, and then I order good, and then she wants the rest of my food. <laughs> By a year and a half of this, I went to Coach Jewel, and I said, Jewel, um, are you going to go pro again? She was like, no. So why are you eating like that? She said, huh? I'm just saying. Are you training for a tournament? No. So why are you eating like that? I said, right now, you are Coach Jewel, which they are paying you for your knowledge. You are not physically competing. Put some butter on that waffle and let's eat. (laughs) Now she eat, hello. (laughs) She order what I order, then she eat hers and mine. She her body still burns off calories like nobody's business and I love it because that means I could eat fat and she could eat fat and people be like well I guess it's okay exactly <laughs> nevertheless when you are pro athlete, according to this scripture you have to be disciplined in every aspect so much so that you don't even know how to turn it off how you eat where you go what you say, what time you wake up, what time you go to bed. I mean, everything is, is pretty much affected by this. You become disciplined in everything when you're, when you're competing, right? I think there's some people in here that didn't recognize they were running. Hello? He said, for the prize, they all become disciplined in all things. Now, they do they do it. To obtain a perishable crown but we are supposed to do it for an imperishable crown therefore i run thus he says therefore this is what i do i run like i got something to do the difference between a golfer that's practicing just for the hobby of it and a trainer is every time I'm on the driving range, I have a specific list of things that I have to work on. Even, everybody hitting the ball, I'm trying to get my swing back. I'm just trying to hit, see how far I can go. Mm-mm. When you are training, hello, somebody. I have, My coach said I get to get 20 shots to this particular location. Everybody else is, I'm just trying to just, oh, this is fun. Look at there, snap snap swish mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. i got a very specific goal every time i practice every time i practice right a runner even in practice and training has a goal he says so thus since we have a prize then when we run we run with that in mind Since I have a goal ultimately for myself, hello, somebody, then every time I have an opportunity, I am aware of that goal in everything I do. (sighs) Hello? Is that a boxer? A boxer don't just be hitting the air. When you learn to box, you have a specific set of movements. You ain't just randomly hitting the way you want to hit, like la, 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 la. Your trainer gives you a specific rhythm, a specific count, and a specific moves, and your job is to do it slower, and then get faster and faster, then add to it and get faster and faster. So while everybody else they like, just having fun, do 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 do, hitting that side bag or whatever that thing is called, you're like do 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 do. No, no, let me do it again, do do, mm, mm, mm. and you gonna look stupid for a long time. You're going to look like you ain't got no kind of reflexes. You're going to look like you ain't got no rhythm. You're going to look like you can't move your feet. You're going to look dumb as a box of rocks for a very long time. Because even in your practice, you have a goal. It's not a hobby. And given the opportunity, I keep my goal in mind. Take a minute in your journal, write down your life's goal. But for those of us that are having a hard time writing down our goal, now you can understand why you have a hard time living as a Christian. I know you're I ain't got no hard time. It's something else. No, it's not. It's something else. No, it's not. It's just because I can't. No, it's not. You have a hard time being a Christian, right? because you have yet to understand your goal. Before I started training to be a scratch golfer, which still to me sounds funny, because I never played a sport a day in my life, all right? I would do the same thing two years and just go hit balls. Go play a couple of rounds with Mama Jean. That was about it. And when I got tired of it and mad at it, I left it. I walked off, I ain't care, my arm hurt. I'm done with this, I'm going home. This week, I injured my arm. I hit roughly about 250 chip shots after my practice with my coach because I wanted to get it right. Then I went to do the laundry and something popped and I said to myself, self, that's not good. Come to find out, the golfer has tennis elbow. The chip shot is, 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 it hurts even now. The chip shot is a, is, a, is a very soft shot that you rotate similar to how a tennis player might rotate. So if I do a lot of those over time, I am really inflaming that particular nerve and muscle. right? So now I have golf uh, tennis elbow. I go to the chiropractor, he pops it back in place, <laughs> then I go back to practice. The next day I'm in pain, I play around with Mama Jean. The next day after that, I'm back at practice. And everybody's like, hodge your elbow? It hurts. But I can do some of my swings very well, but I'm not going to do the chip, but I can swing full out. Does it hurt when you swing full out? Yeah, it does, but not nearly as bad. And I hear myself saying this, and I'm like, self, what has happened to you? Because in the past, when you had an injury, no matter how big or small, you told yourself, it's good that I sit down. Come on, somebody. No matter how big or small, it's good that I take a break. It, It hurts a little bit, but it could hurt a lot. It's best that I sit down. But now that you have a goal and someone agreed to train you, hello, somebody, now you recognize, well, can I play? Oh, I can still play a little bit. I'm going to play. I can still move it. I'm going to move it. And all of a sudden, you start looking at the idea. No, does it hurt? Yes. Is it hurting now? Yes. What are you going to do? Nothing but what I've been doing. If you don't know this, now I play two sports, golf And this one, this one right here. I play it through pain, through loss of mommy, through back surgery, I play it through poverty, I'll play it through depression. I'll play it through sickness. Every injury, i look at it and go, but can I, if you help me, I think I might be able to. I got to my coach the other day, and he showed me a shot, and I kept missing it. It's a small technique. He was changing in how I was doing it, and I heard myself cry out to him, no, coach, I can get it. Give me a second. Now, he never said nothing. He didn't say, hurry up. He didn't say, "Oh. He showed no disappointment. He showed no, let's move on to the next thing. But in myself, I wanted to make sure I showed him I could do it. I want you to see that you're not wasting what you're telling me. I want you to know that I see, I received your word and I'm really trying to activate it. Hold on, Jesus. I think I can get it the next time. Give me one more shot. I think I can do it right the next time. Give me another opportunity. When you have a goal, you live differently in Christ. You just live differently. You move differently. Sins that used to be so easy to fall into. To you it was like, "Uh uh-uh. I went to the hairdresser. They said, we got some donuts over there, Pastor Durham. You want some? I looked at her like she said a cuss word, Uh uh-uh. I said, sugar ain't going to do nothing, but swell up this joint. And it always hurts. (laughs) I can't be swelling up this joint, okay? I still got to (laughs) practice. I wasn't worried about getting fat. I said, I got to practice. (laughs) When you have a goal in mind with Christ, you live differently. And to the extent that it was a hard time for you to really see what that goal is, is the same reason why you're up and down in your Christianity. Well you run for a season and then fall off and start walking. Hello? Well you try to switch sports mid-game. That's dumb. Like you really ask me, Pastor, how do we know that salvation is for me? We don't know. If you don't know, it's not. Ah, that ain't fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't know it's for you, it's not for you. Because most of us go, I hope it is oh I hope it is oh I hope it is I feel like I believe in Jesus I feel like he died for my sins oh I hope salvation is for me even if we sneak in oh please don't even let them notice that I don't crept into this. I am in here cuz everybody they save, save I'm gonna be over here with the save, save folk hoping and believing that it's also for me too When you know who Christ is you want salvation you would, you would feel horrible If you couldn't have it every day of your life would be miserable so even if you tell me I suck at it please please coach let me try it again I know I can't I use your exact words for you on purpose so you would not miss it that you might grow in your training (laughs) Satan's biggest lie because now you're running with purpose you see your big-time, long-term goal down at the end, and every practice, you have to keep that goal in mind. If you're anything like me, and maybe some athletes now here and coaches and stuff, okay, because remember, this is my first sport ever, so y'all know better, but you have a long-term goal, And then you have to break that bad boy down in a whole bunch of short-term, small goals. And then you dwindle that all the way down to like one move at practice, just one thing at practice. But every time, you have a what? Every day, you have a goal. Every trial, you have a goal. Every moment of downtime, you have a goal. Every party you go to, you have a goal. Every day you clock in, you've got a goal. Every time your, your child is disobedient, you have a goal. When your heart breaks, you've got a goal. There's not one moment for the runner that you're not constantly reminded of your goal. And when you decide to ignore that, you fail miserably. When you decide to push it off, to second-guess de- it, to doubt it, everything goes wrong. And just as in every area it was causing you to be more disciplined, now without that goal in every area you become less and less disciplined. Can't bridle your tongue, can't keep your own commitments to yourself, I knew a man, and he said, I want you to hold me accountable for exercising. I said, I, we were dating, I said, I don't wanna do that. He was like, why not? I said, because that's a miserable role. Because I'm gonna have to get on you about working out, Then you not gonna work out, Then I'm getting on you about doing it, and I, just, I don't want that tension. This is the thing. I liked you because you were self-motivated. That in something that you knew you needed, you set a goal for yourself and you wouldn't be stopped. That's what I liked about you. So now you telling me that I gotta tell you to go after your own goal? Ah! This ain't gonna work. We speak in two different languages. I got to tell you to go after your own goal. It is not my goal. It is your goal. I go after my goals. You go after your goals. And this kind of energy works really well because we both go after our goals. We say, yeah, you're going to feel good job, good job, good job. Not go do it. I don't want to do it. Go do it. I don't want to do it. Go do it. Get off my back. See, mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm not built for that. I shepherd a church. Mm. <laughs> Certain things I can't add to my personal life the biggest lie that Satan tells you when you're training is it's not worth it the biggest lie that Satan tells you when you're training is it's not worth it go to Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews 12 11. now no chastening another word for that is discipline seems to be joyful for the present but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Another translation that I love is the passion translation and they say now all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at a time. Yet later it will produce a transformation of character bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. The biggest lie Satan tells you is in the midst of your training and you're sucking at it and it's painful and it hurts is that there is not this amount of pain. is not worth what I'm about to get. That's the lie. Living like this ain't worth it. Suffering like this ain't worth it. Having my heart broken like this ain't worth it. The biggest lie is he tries to convince you, a, a racer, a runner, huh, an athlete, that the training you're going through isn't worth it. Yeah. Now, this only works for people that barely believe that they could be an athlete. Oh, wow. That's the only ones it works for, that you barely believed you could do it anyway. You've been guessing whether this is for you or the whole time. I don't even know, we'll see, right? Sister, baby Micah back there and any other baby athlete, Brother Ray, that trains for sports and stuff like that. I told Coach Jewel one day, she said, Pastor, these young kids, they ain't got it today. I said, Well, She said, they ain't got it, they ain't got no fight. I said, Joel, I don't think that's true. She said, I'm telling you, Pastor, I seen them. I said, you seen them? I said, yeah. She said, yeah. I said, At practice? She said, yeah. I said, the kids that come to practice every week? She said, yeah. I said, and they don't have what? A fight. What? They came to practice every week to play a sport. She said, I know. I said, you think that they don't have any competition in them? She said, yeah. I said, but they play a sport, (laughs) but they don't have any desire to win. But they play a sport by nature. If you decide to play a sport, you know that you are the type of person that wants to win. So then the trick here is that Satan tries to convince you in the midst of your most difficult training that somehow life and life abundantly in Christ was not for you. But if you are in Christ and a new creature, this does not make any sense because you literally signed up for this. This is exactly why you go to church. This is exactly why you read your Bible. This is exactly why you cut off your phone. You are doing it exactly for that reason. And it's a lie to say that your training is not going to avail anything. At least try to be trained by a pro. Somebody that put it into practice. Pick a pastor that went through Christ that has the word that put it in practice. And then when they tell you this is what you need to do, believe it. Some of y'all are so terribly bad at being coached. You don't believe nothing nobody say Well, do I have to do it that way? No, you can do it whatever way you want to do it. Oh, I'm What do I? I'm only where you're trying to be (laughs) right right and some of the biggest ones that got the biggest goal to be where I'm at are the hardest ones to coach because you're not teachable you can't lead. I care nothing about your talent nothing about your talent similar to coach jewel Christ can take talentless unskilled, seemingly ungifted folk, and he they they got the right heart to be. I just want to learn how to do it. I just feel like I can get it done. If you could help me, if you believe in me, I think I can do it. Just tell me what to do. The issue is nobody told you I believe in you. Nobody said, no, Christianity is for you, baby. Nobody said, no, this is for you. I've seen your soul, I've seen your spirit. You got exactly, I know exactly why God called you to Christianity, cause you got what it takes, baby. Hallelujah. Children that start off that way, become excellent pro athletes. Because somebody keeps telling them, this is for you. This is for you, this is for you and they keep growing and changing. And every time they grow and change, the coach mushes them back in this position. And now that bone reshapes. And now now all of a sudden, when they didn't know if it was for them, they started growing into it in such a way that you can't deny. Look at that swimmer, shoulders all broad. Look at that boxer, arms all big. Look at that runner, legs so strong. Now everybody can look at you and say, you were built for this. But me, God and you are the only ones that will know you were not built for this. You were trained. You were trained. You got to start resisting the training because it's not good for you. The biggest lie that Satan tells you is that it's not worth it. He tries to convince you that. All this pain it just ain't worth it let's go to first Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6 everybody all right first Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6 is where we're gonna start but I'm gonna skip through the rest of this chapter so if you're a person that likes to go back later and read you might want to mark this in your Bible and that should be everybody in here <laughs> all right verse 6 says however we speak wisdom amongst those who are mature Paul is getting ready to have a conversation for those that are mature now last week we learned that a lot of them was not mature that they were still on milk, and he wanted to talk about some mature things, but they could not handle the mature things because they were still on milk. That was last week. This week, we're talking to those who have matured. Could you have matured in a week? I don't know. I gained 20 yards on my swing in two weeks, so maybe you too could mature in a week. Not be mature, but maturing, you know? Maybe you've grown enough to handle the next couple of lines we're about to go into. Are you ready? He says however we speak wisdom among those who are mature yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing but we speak the wisdom of god in a mystery the hidden wisdom which god ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew for had they known they would not have crucified the lord of glory the biggest lie satan tells you is that all your pain is not worth it that all that you're going through you can't imagine anything worth the type of suffering the type of discipline the type of you can't even imagine and then look at verse nine but as it is written eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which god has prepared for those who love him just when you think that you want to believe satan's lie. That is just not worth it. Think of the best thing that you can ever think of, and just know it's far beyond that. The best thing I could ever think of is being back with mom. Now I know what I'm gonna get is far beyond that. I was driving in the car with somebody the other day and I rolled past a sign. I think the sign said uh, Jesus is the king on the throne or something king on the throne. Maybe it was a song. I don't know what it was. But I instantly tried to think of when we get to heaven. And Jesus is actually on the throne. And I imagined myself at the back of the line waiting for my turn to see Jesus and I couldn't help but to get nervous just thinking about it like this is the Jesus that I've been praying to practically all of my life this is the one that I've been writing letters to back and forth back and forth the one that has been showing me things the powerful one I've called on he's been sending me stuff sending messages my entire life oh he's up there oh there we go oh I'm about to meet him Oh Jesus! Oh, I mean, oh you! Oh, I'm about to! Oh, I'm about to see him! Oh, it's almost my turn! Mm-mm-mm. Oh, I can barely what's oh, face look? I can't quite see it. Oh, and it's basically when I get finally up to the end of the line, I I said to Jewel, I said I think I would pass out if as I passed by the King. He said, "Hey, Talibah!" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> ah! I love you! Oh my God, I love you! <laughs> I'll be trembling, like Oh my God, you know my name. I knew you knew my name, but you know my name. Ah, I love you. I tell you, I love you. I love you so much. Oh my goodness! was like, get off of him! Ah! <laughs> ah! Jesus! I'm your biggest fan. I love you. I mean, I got nervous just thinking about it, like being reunited with a long lost lover. Just made me nervous, and excited, and fearful. And then, I just couldn't imagine him saying, what's up, (laughs) Taliba?" Hey. (laughs) Hey. What'd she say? She said, hey. (laughs) Eyes have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man. The things which God has prepared for those who love him He says, but God has revealed it and he goes on to talk about he's revealed it through his spirit he says for the spirit of God and I'm going to paraphrase the next couple of verses so you can read it on your own he says the spirit of God searches the mind and heart of God like nobody knows your insides but your insides right you are the only one that really knows what's happening in you right you only want to know what you thought you the essence of who you are knows what you think the Spirit of God knows what God thinks and then then Paul says you don't even have an idea what God has prepared because he gave you his spirit that knows Everything God is thinking. Who me? <laughs> yeah, you got it. I got His spirit that knows everything He be thinking. What He be doing? What He what He want me to do? How He want me to do? The Spirit of God in me know that. I I'm messing this up. so you have the Spirit of God that knows? Amen. Every, even so uh, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God see Satan lies to us and says that the pain is not worth it but the Spirit of God in you knows exactly what God wants you to do and he knows what God freely gives you. Yeah. Like some rank runner training to run a race and somehow they've been giving tools on how to breathe. Like some boxer that's been giving tools and an understanding freely in their training about how to take the advantage, how to take the lead, how to win the point, how to gain the advantage. And somebody gave this to you freely. So even when you think it's not worth it in your race and you feel like you might be losing and you feel like God's goal is too far from you, just know the spirit of God says now, boom, use that baby. Now hit him again, boom, use that. Now run it again, boom, use that. Oh, he's getting away. Boom! Hit him again. Boom! Hit him again. Boom! Hit him again. hit him again. The Spirit of God says, I know what God gave you to win. I know what He gave you. And I can tell you. I can tell you what tools He gave you. Like a man thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul goes on to say the things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural mind man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned but he who is spiritual judges all things yet he himself Is rightly judged by no one for who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him but we have the mind of Christ whoa 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 let's let's unpack this Paul says in another word he says the Holy Spirit not in words of man's wisdom But which the Holy Spirit teaches, and that word comparing is good for expounding on spiritual things with spiritual language. He said, The Holy Spirit that was given to you, he doesn't speak in earthly words, words that are centered around just earthly wisdom. He gives you wisdom about the mysteries that are hidden in God. And he gives them to you in, in a spiritual language, and then he expounds upon them with spiritual stuff. So the world may give you some words of wisdom, right? Early in the verse, he says, Timothy, don't be like this taking all these fables and stuff. And that's just, Paul was trying to warn Timothy, don't think that these fables about how you could, if you just beat up your body, then it'll give you inner, inner, inner discipline. He said, That's not true if aesthetic practices that if i really beat myself up then i'll be better i'll be stronger he said that's not true don't believe that don't believe that if you just beat yourself up you'll be better and stronger he's trying to correct all of this earthly wisdom and says but when the spirit of the lord speaks to you he uses things that are spiritual words that are spiritual and then he he expounds upon it helping you to understand it and interpret it with spiritual means it's like a a runner training i had a chance to, or even a, somebody playing tennis or golf I'll use mine <laughs> there's a line that my coach uses it's so simple it's boom every practice he says it's just like this boom every practice, it's like this boom your swing is like, this, like that boom okay you just he said a whole bunch of stuff like them boom so naturally When I go to play and I tee up, what am I thinking? Boom boom. Now, this is not something I got to conjure up. I don't have to try to recall it. It's been done in me so much that all I can think is boom. Hello, somebody. Boom. Now, to another golfer, every golfer, when they hear boom, every golfer knows, ah, boom. I know what you're talking about. Boom. Oh, I got you. Every golfer knows that because it's on their insides. But people that don't know by the spirit don't have an understanding of how much boom. Boom is not just one move. Boom Is three hundred types of moves all in one to equal this one? Boom is way more complicated than anyone could ever imagine. But to those who trained by the Spirit, they know exactly what's in that word. The Spirit of God uses languages that are spiritual, and then He expounds upon it with spiritual means. You got that part so far yes. a little bit. I'm gonna keep going until you really get it. He said, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. Your natural man does not even sense it. Your natural man receives information through touch, through sight, through smell, through taste. That's how your natural man receives all of his information. But your inner man, given to you by the Spirit of God, made alive, receives all of its sensing and information from the Spirit of God. You have in Christ a different type of sensing. To hear and to know what God wants in everything. In everything. Now, how you interpret what you're sensing. What you do with what you sensed is the problem, right? Like I could hear something buzz behind my head, and I'm like, ah! ah. And I just swatted out the way, right? My natural man heard something buzzing, and I smacked it. Come to find out, it was somebody behind me and it wasn't a buzz. They just said, mm, and then I hit him in the face. And now I done slapped this man, cold cocking him in his face because I thought it was a bug. And I said, ah, I thought you was a bug. He was like, I wasn't a bug. I was like, mm, and then I thought that now I hit you. See, that is how your natural man senses something and then responds to what it senses, but it still sensed it. When you are trained by the Spirit of God, It's not that you need training to hear God, because every man knows the voice of God and a stranger's voice they will not hearken unto. The problem is that when your spirit man senses what God wants to do, you are not trained to know exactly when to hold them and when to fold them. You're not trained to run when to run and when to slow down, when to hit and when to duck. You have the sensing, but you don't know what to do with it because that requires training. Many of Christians tell me, I got on y'all last week, Pastor God said. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. He said. But I also know if he really did say it, you about to mess this up. Because I listen to what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, oh, no. That's not how we said it. Where did that come from? And then you come back, but I thought I heard God. You sensed God, uh-huh. you sensed the Spirit of God. You sense something moving on the inside that led you to go in a certain direction. But going in that direction requires a lot more skill that you have not trained yet. Going in that direction requires words of wisdom. Going in that direction requires a cunningness. Going in that direction requires fortitude and stamina, endurance or perseverance. You sense something, but you have no idea what to do with it. Pastor, I sense that I'm supposed to be working with you on something. So what you been doing? This, (laughs) This, <laughs> okay. I believe you sensed it, but you do not know what to do with it, and I can't get my life tied up. <laughs> you have to mature. Everybody wants to run with the pastor. They're like, not me. Whatever, whatever. Everybody do. It's rightfully so. Who don't want to play with a pro? I mean, not that I am, but you know, for the most part, right? That's that's a good athlete. Everybody wanna play with a good athlete. Hello? I wanna play with a good athlete. I'm tired of playing with these losers, I can beat them up, you know? (laughs) Many people walk through that door, Pastor, I think I'm called to be your armor bearer. And everybody that's tried this has already said, (laughs) good luck. That armor is heavy like a mug. And they're like, no, I can be sinless. It ain't that kind of problem. That is not your issue. Sin is not the issue. If you think sin is the issue, that is not the sin. Pastors so far gone from that. Can you handle almost dying daily? Can you handle that? <laughs> it's a whole other ball game, And everybody, that means you sense something, but you're not trained. And when I run into people, I say, so what you going to do with this? And I watch you. Save me, save me from this. Tell me what to do. Uh Uh-uh, let me see what you come up with. Oh, okay. Put that cake back in the oven. It is not ready. Hello? But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This part is what got me. Cause even though I hear spiritually discern, I really don't know what that means. Like it's spiritually sensed. And so I had to ask God more clearly about the role of spirit. I know the role of the Holy Spirit. I know my spirit and I know spirit realm, but if I had, and it all has the word spirit, right? But what really is spirit and its surroundings of the spirit realm? And the Lord gave me this, this from another source, all right? He says, spiritually discerned means that that is, they are perceived by the aid of the Holy Spirit, enlightening the mind and influencing the heart. They are perceived by the aid of the Holy Spirit, enlightening, enlightening the mind and influencing the the heart. Similar to your natural senses to your flesh man, your natural man, if you had a nerve injury and you were dead in that nerve, you would need assistance in trying to perceive this particular sensory. If your ears, you would need a hearing aid to help you perceive that particular sensing. Hello, somebody. Now, once you perceive it, then it goes on to do a lot of stuff. For example, I had a hard time hearing. Then I put on this device, this aid, that aids me, called a hearing aid, in hearing, in my body, my natural man, taking in the senses necessary for what is needed to hear. And when I hear something, all kinds of things start happening on the inside. My optic nerve fires off. Neurons in my brain start connecting thoughts. And if necessary, I start moving limbs, and, and words start coming to my, oh, you understand what I'm saying. When you hear something that's just a sensing, and you need aid in some cases if you were dead to it, You need assistance in order to perceive that particular sensing. Now, we were dead in Christ. Y'all don't want to help me preach it. If you know where I'm going, just say we were once dead in Christ, now made alive through Christ Jesus. And in his spirit is the one that aids us to sense what is happening in the spirit. Because the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. You got the Holy Spirit that is helping you spiritually to sense what God wants, and every Christian knows it. Yes. 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 Pastor, you think God wants me to? Do you think it's okay? And I just looking at you like I start asking you questions because I know you know the answer to this, but you want to give it to me so that if you don't like your training, you can blame me and God. Huh? All the only thing I do is confirm. Yeah, that sound like God yeah that sound like him what you say you heard what you say he said what you tell me last week yeah that sounds about right I was there because that training is about to get real hard and I'm only affirming to remind you that somebody else beside you agreed that, that is what God has for you right now it is good so when you start getting weak somebody say uh-uh okay keep going keep going keep going yeah 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 keep going keep going keep going, keep going. The Holy Spirit is then given to us to aid us in sensing what is on the mind of God. Now, how does the sensing happen? According to the definition we just looked at, first, he enlightens our understanding of something. And then he moves that to our hearts. It's something that happens on the inside. In most cases, we see great examples in Genesis and all throughout scripture, Daniel of dreams. Like a dream that there's somebody that needs a spiritual encounter. And the Spirit of God will give me a sensing not in my natural body but he'll give me a sensing y'all don't want to help me about something that God wants to do something that's on the heart of God so in my sensing of the Spirit in a dream I'm crying because God wants to touch somebody and give them an actual encounter of Christ and when I come to and I wake I have no idea what he means and then through the language of Scripture The Holy Spirit begins to expound and he says that spiritual things are conferred by spiritual things and spiritual things are compared and expounded by spiritual things. So now if you had a dream, then wait for the word to come and explain the dream. And when the word explains the dream, then I say, thus saith the Lord, that somebody needs an authentic encounter with Christ. Standing all over the house.